Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen with David Gura. Daily, we bring you insight from the best of economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. This is a lovely book, Failure to Adjust. All you need to know is Sebastian Malaby and Michael Spence said, shut up and read it. That's a pretty good group. Mr. Ratner here as well, Stephen Ratner uh, weighing in. How Americans Got Left Behind in the Global Economy. It is a heartbreaking book. Uh, Ted Alden takes it forward uh, with the Council on Foreign Relations in a new forward in the paperback on Monesson, Pennsylvania, And Al Hunt wrote about this a year after the president's speech. Take us back to the president's speech, all the promises made to the deteriorating iron country of this nation. Yeah, so he goes to Manesson in June of 2016, used to be one of the country's great steel towns, you know, population of 20,000, you know, big steel makers. The closest he can find is a a maker of recycled uh, aluminum, essentially, Lumisource it's called. So he's standing in front of a bunch of crushed aluminum cans. And he gives the most detailed speech of the campaign on what he's going to do on trade policy to help bring places like Manesson back to their feet. And he talks about pulling out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership and renegotiating NAFTA and appointing tough trade negotiator and going after China and, and slapping import tariffs on steel using national security grounds. So he lays out all these promises. And, uh, and you know, he got a lot of support from those kinds of places around the country. It was a big part of why he won the election in these Rust Belt states. Let me say good morning to all listening on Sirius XM Channel 119, south of Pittsburgh. On East Shoemaker Streets, there's Felicia's Restaurant. Talk to the people in the diner, the restaurant, Felicia's Restaurant in uh, Monesson. What's the plan? What do you see right now? to try to help so many Americans that have been left behind. See, I don't, I don't think this administration has a plan, unfortunately. I, I have some sympathy to, to at least their rhetorical direction on trade policy. I think places like Manesson really got creamed by import competition going all the way back to the 80s and through the 2000s. But you've got to build a new economy there. You've got to connect it up to the vibrant cities. I mean, Pittsburgh is is doing very well. The problem is you've got little places like Manesson 30 miles outside of Pittsburgh that are not connected to that economy. So, you know, my recipe would be time into the city economies, broadband for everyone, make it possible for people to work remotely, yeah. find new ways to revitalize these places. You're not going to bring back the old yeah. steel economy. Mm-hmm. But, Ted, this costs money. So where do you yeah. take the money from? Well, I mean, the United States, you know, despite the president's claim, is a reasonably low-taxed country. I think there's, there's lots of potential sources of revenue. And, and if you take seriously what the president ran on his campaign, these are places that need help. I'm not saying it all needs to come from government. I think a lot of it can come from the private sector, from NGOs and other places. But the notion that we as a country don't have money to build out broadband, that's ridiculous, right? That's basic infrastructure in the 21st century. Ted, how will the midterm election go? And, and actually, will, will it, could it be a reset button for, for the Trump presidency? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The problem is the Democrats aren't offering a very coherent alternative. So I'm not, I'm not sure what choice the American people are going to be making in November. I mean, obviously, if, if the Republican Party suffers losses, that's going to force some sort of reset. But, but it's not like it's all mm. harmony within the Republican Party right now between Trump and, uh, and, and the folks on the Hill. In the time we've got left with you, what drives you nuts about NAFTA coverage right now? The, 
the, the fact that rather than kind of thinking about how we move forward as a North American region, look, you know, the, we're in a competitive global economy, the rise of China. We're not talking about North America anymore. We're talking about these little distributional battles within North America. Where are we going to win? Where's Mexico going to lose? Where are we going to win? Where's Canada going to lose? Trade is not a zero-sum game. But and Navarro and Ross think it is. Yeah, well, they're, I mean, they're wrong about that. Am I right and, and about I think, that? that they, they do. They do. White paper, they zero do. Sum they do, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's not to say trade benefits everyone <clears throat> equally. It doesn't. That's the problem. But the notion that trade is zero sum is simply wrong. And their yeah. approach to NAFTA has been entirely zero sum. I'm, I'm going to do a lot with this on social today, folks. Look for failure to adjust how Americans got left behind in the global economy. I really can't say enough about. Uh, the exceptionally informed density of it on all things trade. Everyone walks away from it smarter and brighter. Edward Alden is with the Council on Foreign uh, Relations. suggest in the 9 a.m. morning of Seoul, Korea, the president of the United States maybe will be looking to Virginia. Uh, Any number of people in the last few days have told me this governor's race is a huge deal. To review, Mr. Gillespie of the right side of the aisle uh, barely won the primary off of uh, a strong challenge. And on the left side, Mr. McAuliffe couldn't run, I'm told. So the lieutenant governor uh, had some Bernie Sanders-like com- uh, competition and prevailed. Ralph Northam is the lieutenant governor of Virginia and joins us on this historic day. Uh, I have to ask the Election Day question, uh, Mr. Northam. What are you going to be doing today? Where do you need to travel? Where's the geography you're focused on? Well, thank you for having th- thanks for having me on this morning. And, uh, you know, our, our home is in Norfolk, Virginia, and so we're starting here locally. I I've been over to Portsmouth this morning to a poll, and uh, very exciting over there. A lot of voters are showing up. Uh, they're really uh, uh, focusing on this election, and I'll, I'll vote here in a little while in Norfolk, and we'll make our way up through Richmond and into northern Virginia this afternoon and this evening. Uh, Dr. Northam, out of Eastern Virginia Medical, and of course you did service with the military. Norfolk is a voice, and I would say that is almost Trump territory. How does a Democrat do in, Nor- in Norfolk? Can you get a cup of coffee? Oh, absolutely. We'll do very well in, in Norfolk. And I, I have worked at the Children's Hospital here for over 25 years. And as you said, I'm a veteran of the United States Army. So this is my backyard. And we expect a large turnout here, large military uh, you know, uh, area here and, and a lot of folks in, in medical care. So uh, we'll do real well here today. Um, I, I've driven the spy called the spine of Virginia off the Shenandoah and down towards Tennessee, and it is a wonderful state of great, great variants. How does a president play into this this campaign? How does Mr. Trump play for you? Is it your advantage to have President Trump uh, in 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 the the background? Well, he's you know released so many detrimental policies out of Washington, starting with the travel ban that. Uh, it's just totally un-American, and and then pulling away from the Paris Accord. We've made so much progress in Virginia with renewable energy, and he wants to reverse DACA, and and then finally with health care. And certainly that's my background as a physician. But you know, to put 30 million Americans at risk of losing their coverage is just unacceptable. And so it's very important in Virginia that someone be at the table that understands health care to make sure that Virginians have access to affordable yeah. and quality care. 
that sets it up nicely, but the polling is quite close with you with a nudge here as well. Is the president a detriment to Mr. Gillespie of the Republican Party? And how do you how have you played that in the last two or three days? Well, his approval ratings are certainly low. And, you know, I find it interesting. I, my opponent says he has a good relationship with the president, but he's yet to come campaign for him in, in Virginia. It's the first first president since 1973 that that hasn't come into Virginia to, to campaign with his, his his party's candidate. So uh, I think they're in a state of disarray. You know, we yeah. have a very positive message. Uh, we're, we're unified. We've got a great ticket, and we look forward to a big day here in Virginia. Well, within that, and within that big day is the current moment, which is tax reform. My theme on Bloomberg surveillance uh, today, Dr. Northam, has been uh, between the middle class and the uber-wealthy within tax reform is the professional class. I believe you're a member of it is a practicing physician. Um, how about the professional class in Virginia? What is their outrage over tax reform, and what guidance do they need to see uh, from the new governor of Virginia? Well, we, we obviously need uh, a comprehensive tax reform in Virginia. We need a, a code that is simpler, fair, that is fiscally responsible, and that especially what that, that will uh, protect our, our AAA bond rating. And, and that's what we plan to do, bring both Republicans and Democrats together and and have a, a, a tax code reform that's, that's uh, best for you know yeah. business in Virginia. And we really can't uh, uh, take a, a person that, 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 like I'm running against, that says he wants to do a 10% tax cut for the rich on the right. backs of the working class. It will take investments away from education, health care, transportation, first responders. So we need someone in Virginia who's fiscally responsible, and that's what I bring to the table. Okay, within that, and this is critical litmus test here, I mean, Mr. McAuliffe, Governor McAuliffe, of course, with lifelong Clinton support and national Democratic Party visibility, you're not. Are you the the wave of what the Democrats need to get back to the center. You a number of times voted for some of the Bush presidencies. Are, are you the kind of candidate Democrats need to get used to to take the House in 2018 and win in 2020? Absolutely. You know, Virginians are, are looking for someone with fire in the belly, someone that has experience. That's what I bring to the table. Someone that will stand up to what's going on in Washington right now, which has just been a, a presidency of Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been of divisiveness, of hatred, bigotry. You know that's what not, that's not what this country's about. It's not what Virginia's about. So uh, Virginia's looking for leadership. They're looking for stability. Uh, they're looking for a progressive person that will uh, fight for for jobs, fight for education for our children, health care for all Virginians. Uh, make sure that we live in safe communities where there are not guns on every street corner and and someone that will protect the environment and keep our air and water clean. And that's what I bring to the table. We'll look for the results tonight. Dr. Northam, thank you so much. He's the 40th Lieutenant Governor of Virginia uh, in the governor's election today. Stay with us. This is Bloomberg. Joining us now, really pleased to bring you Stephen Kotkin. He is Hoover Fellow, Princeton University Professor of History, and is absolutely authoritative on Russia and the history, the fabric of all this. Stephen, I'm going to start with an open question, which is we have a president, I guess, gallivanting through Asia, or maybe it's Indo-Asia. I can't remember what the new phrase is right now. From where you sit with your reach of history, how is the president being greeted in Asia? 
You know, we're all waiting to see. I think that's the excellent question. President Trump is on an historic trip, and not only the American public, but the publics in Asia want to see something. They want to understand the administration. Here's the problem. The problem is, is we're very obsessed, once again, with Russia. Russia has always been taking too much of Americans' attention when we should be more focused on the very region that Trump is visiting. So as he's now out in Asia, in part, Russia is dominating our news back home and is interceding on his trip. I, I, I look again at how Mr. Putin will observe this trip, and I guess there's a domestic news flow as well as there's this on Russia or that on Russia. Tell us about Russia's reach into Japan, Russia's influence on South Korea, and of course the age-old tension between Russia and China. Give us an update on that relationship. So Russia is at a very weak point right now. It looks strong, but that's actually a mirage. Russia's GDP is one-fifteenth the size of America's GDP. Russia's defense budget is about one-eleventh the size of America's defense budget. Russia is only interceding in places abroad because the Americans are not there. The fact that the U.S. is in some foreign policy disarray has given an opening to President Putin that he has seized. At the same time, Russia's reach in Asia is limited. It has a relationship with North Korea dating back to communist yeah. times. But its relations with Japan have stalemated. Its relations with uh, India are balanced, but not necessarily anything close to an alliance. The big story is Russia and China and where that might be going. Right, but Steve, first of all, Russia needs to get stronger in terms of GDP if there's going to be any headway in kind of foreign policy. We just broke a headline from OPEC saying they mm. see U.S. shale oil powering ahead after they boosted prices by cutting production with Russia. What kind of oil level does Russia need to balance the books? Well, Russia's economy is not as dependent on oil and gas as we understand What's dependent on oil and gas for Russia is their government budget. So the more U.S. raises its own domestic output of energy, including hydrocarbons, the more difficult it is for Russia to balance the books and to spend money on its military. So for American foreign policy, it's very good news, the shale boom. And for Russian foreign policy, it is yet another sign of trouble. Okay, do we need to stop? You, we started the interview by, by you saying that actually we need to stop focusing too much on Russia and focus on Asia. But can that only happen after these probes on links between the Trump administration and Russia are over? I hope not. I hope it starts immediately. This is the thing about Russia. So they stole some emails from Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee. So they tried to sow discord in the United States. But what did they get in terms of strategic gain from this interference? The interference must be punished. Russia must not feel that they can do this with impunity. But I don't think they gained anything whatsoever. Their GDP is still stagnant. They're still a fraction of our economy. They still cannot afford the kind of military they'd like yeah. to see. Russia is in massive decline, and we need to remember which one here is the superpower. 
Stephen Kotkin, thank you so much. Too short a visit today. We look forward to a longer discussion uh, in the weeks ahead. Mr. Cotton, and of course, Dr. Cotton at Princeton University and the Woodrow Wilson School uh, as well. And now I would suggest the most important political of the day, uh, interview of the day. Francine LaCroix had that yesterday with Secretary of Commerce uh, Wilbur Ross. Tom Perez is a fascinating path out of Buffalo and Kinesis uh, High School. Uh, Mr. Perez comes from a diplomatic Dominican Republican family, and his father was a physician for years within the United States. He is the chair of the Democratic National Committee, which is worse than herding cats at the Supreme Court. Tom Perez, good morning. Let's start with the uh, news flow. What do you need tonight out of the election results? Well, I feel pretty confident about tonight. Uh, we have a great candidate in New Jersey, Phil Murphy and uh, yeah. Sheila Oliver, poised to make history. We've got great candidates in Virginia, Ralph Northam and Justin Fairfax, and a great attorney general candidate, Mark Herring. We've had unprecedented uh, uh, voter uh, engagement. Uh, we knocked on over a million doors, twice as many as Terry McAuliffe did four years ago, and he did a great yep, job. He was a failure. So, yeah, Terry, 3.7% unemployment there now. And what I've learned in my uh, many, many travels to Virginia is that people want a leader who's going to be f- continuing the fight for good jobs. They want a leader who's going to fight for access to health care for well, all. And uh, mm, you know, right. they, they want uniters. And Ralph, Ralph well, Northam is a, a healer. And, okay. and frankly, Ed Gillespie's a divider. I, I want to suggest, Tom Perez, and, and this is after you replaced Donna Brazil as head of the Democratic uh, ship, that every Republican's watching you and your party. Is tonight the night where the Democrats shift from the election of 2016, or does that wait for some path on the way to 2018? Is this the night where you move on from Clinton Kane? Well, I shifted long ago because uh, as soon as I got in this job, we were all about building a Democratic Party that can win elections up and down the ballot. We changed our mission statement. We're here to elect Democrats up and down the ticket you from elect the school board Democrat, to the overall. Can, okay, but can you go horizontal and elect Democrats in Republican geographies that Mr. Trump took? Well, actually, the answer to that is yes. And we and let me give you some examples. Please. We've had a number of state special elections this year, and, and the new DNC is about organizing, 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 and competing in every Every zip code. There were three special elections for state legislative seats that came open in Oklahoma. Three. And what they all had in common is they were Trump country. Uh, Trump won them by something like 20 points. The Democrats swept all three elections. How? Because we had good candidates. We had boots on the ground. We were organizing and talking to people. And we well, led with our values. And in those cases, uh, the issues okay. were education. Right there's where the, I want to I want to go right there. I don't mean to interrupt. I know you've got a tight schedule today, Mr. Perez, but this is too important for the, the nation. The values, are they new values from 2016? And I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Oklahoma. Maybe Bernie Sanders didn't campaign there for you. But have you moved on from the 70 and the 80-year-olds who are from another era? Well, you know, again, we're winning elections, uh, and Oklahoma is one example. Uh, New, New Hampshire, we took a seat that the Republicans had held since 1984. Florida, we just won a seat that the Republicans, uh, a state Senate yeah. seat, that is, that Republicans uh, won by double digits last year. We've shown that we can win when we are organizing, when we're 
leading with our values. And our values are all about making sure that we believe that shared mm. prosperity is what makes America great. We believe that health care is a right for all, not a privilege for a few. And we have to have a we have we have people's back. That's what I've always said. We're Phil Murphy in New Jersey. Right. I have your back on health care. I have your back on good jobs. I have your back on uh, quality public education. I have your back on making sure that your kids have a brighter future. And that's what we're fighting for. And, and we've got to talk to people day in and day out. We we stopped organizing everywhere. We seated too many geographic uh, sectors of the country and and the new DNC is playing in every zip code and we're investing in people and we're building those relationships. That's how you win elections, by getting to know people, by being a good listener and by fielding candidates who respond to the issues that matter most to people. Right. But Mr. Paris, with all due respect, you know, from London, who's the person that you would put to go head to head with President Trump if there was an election tomorrow, a national election for the president of the United States? Oh, we have a number of candidates. I'm confident there will be double digit numbers of uh, Democrats competing. There will be there may be mayors, governors, members right, of I Congress, the Senate. Who, well, I'm not no, the, the, the last against President Trump. Oh, today. now that that if I answered that question, I would be committing the precise mistake that uh, sometimes people in the past have been accused of doing. My job is to make sure that the process to elect the next Democrat is fair for everybody. Right. And we have a bumper crop of folks who are going to emerge. I have no doubt about it. And my job is to make sure that right. everybody has a fair shake. Can the mayor of Los Angeles do well in the Oklahoma you just mentioned? He's getting a buzz right now, Mr. Cassetti. Can he do well in Oklahoma? Well, again, uh, I, I don't want to uh, take any one individual. Eric Garcetti is someone I know well. I have tremendous respect for. Uh, he just mm -hmm. brought the Olympic Games back to the United States. And uh, yeah, the Los Angeles, if it were its own country, would be something like 25th in the right. world in GDP. So uh, we have a lot yeah. of leaders at a local level. We have a lot of leaders at a, a, well, a state level, mm -hmm. governors, some okay. whom who are uh, recognized names, some who are not, all of whom yeah. are remarkably talented. Same okay. thing in the Senate and the I, House. I, I want to go back to the geography you grew up with. You grew up in Buffalo, New York. And as Proudly. you know, you go, you go east of Buffalo. And I grew up in Rochester. And we're barely on speaking terms, Tom Perez. But between <laughs> Rochester and Buffalo is Trump territory. What does your candidate need to do to engage the people that many would suggest Secretary Clinton was unable to engage with? Do you need to go back to Scoop Jackson Democratic politics? Do you need to go back to a calculus of Buffalo politics from another era? Well, first of all, uh, the mayor of Buffalo is a Democrat. The mayor of Rochester is a Democrat. And we're about to elect a Democrat today in Syracuse. So uh, we're, we're getting the big cities in uh, in western New York. But we also have to have the suburbs and the exurbs. And, uh, and, and the way we do that is to speak to the issues that matter most to people. People are scared to death that Donald Trump's going to take their health care away. People are scared to death that he's going to get us into a war uh, because his bluster is so antithetical to what we need to do as a nation moving forward. And people want leaders who are going to unite our country. And, and so when I'm, when I'm out there, what we have to do and what we, in fact, are doing, again, I said every zip code counts. We go out there and we talk to people but in Buffalo, and they want, they want the right to right. organize well, a union. And uh, right. Donald Can Trump you, doesn't believe that. Greg Democrats Vall do. Mr. Perez, good news. Greg Villiers at Horizon says you people have a chance to take the House. Does that begin tonight? In, in when you line up the ducks of the House, do you have the candidates in those zip codes 
to take the House from the Republicans in 24 months. Oh, absolutely. Or 12 months, uh, It's uh, 12 months from today. We'll be having a, a actually less than 12 months because I think Election Day mm. is the second next year, the third. Uh, and the short answer is absolutely. Uh, right. you, you look at the number of candidates who have stepped up, not only for um, uh, the U.S. House races next year. Uh, yeah. there, there's, there's upwards of 80 seats that are legitimately in play because we yeah. have great candidates right. who are delivering a great message. And we have a president who is not draining the swamp. He's just filling it with his own alligators right. and they're bigger. And so yeah. uh, and we're seeing that this year. We have tremendous candidates running for state offices in Virginia, the House of Delegates. They're remarkable people there. And in order to make sure we are uh, able to take back the U.S. House of Representatives, we've yeah. got to take back more state houses. And one house that we're going to take back tonight is the state Senate in Washington State, where we have a special election today. We have invested in it. The Democrat well, is going to win that seat, I okay. predict, and then we will take over. And we will control the Senate, the House, well, and the governorship in we'll, Washington State. We'll keep score, and we'll see if you can uh, make the light sparkle, as Robert Redford did in Buffalo, New York, in The Natural a few years ago. Tom Perez from Buffalo. He is the chair of the Democratic uh, National uh, Committee in a big night. I want to make clear again, folks, we efforted many GOP candidates and uh, experts and leaders as well, and we'll have them on in the coming days. Thanks to uh, David Goldman and our team down in uh, Washington for that effort. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. David Gura is at David Gura. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.